The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Uh, Listen, as we get into this today, uh, I'd like to start us with a question. Uh, Well, to be fair, more than one. Uh, but, but I'd like to start us with some questions to think about. Um, think about this. Have you ever had a really good friend? Um, have you had someone you just really love and who loves you, you share a deep life with and this bond? Um, if you have, um, think about that friendship. Think about that friendship and that feeling you get when you're with a friend like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Scripture tells us that Jesus had friends like that, and, and he knows what it's like, and he had friends, and, and he, I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that Jesus knows what friendship is like. Uh, think about this. Um, I mean, it's kind of crazy for me to think about this because, I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, through whom all things were created the true Savior King, he experienced friendship. What, what about this? Have you ever experienced the happiness that comes when you're really hungry and you eat a really good meal, the kind that you feel hit the bottom of an empty stomach? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the, the, the feeling after, of sitting down after maybe a long day on your feet walking? feet ache, and you sit down, and that feeling of just kind of comes out? Have you ever experienced not wanting to get out of bed every morning? And we're like, yes. Uh, where your bed is just, you're just comfortable, and it's cold out there, and, and you, you just, one more hour. Have you ever experienced an evening with good friends where you laugh so hard that your face hurts? You smile too much, and it just hurts all over. For us to think about, and where I want us to start as we get to this text, so did Jesus. And so did Jesus. And it actually goes deeper than that, because how many have ever struggled, gone through... Um, the horrible moment where a friend that you trusted betrays your trust or abandons you? Um, Have you ever been tempted when you were at your weakest moment, you're thin and hungry and hangry and hurting? Have you ever um, had to hold your tongue when something horrible is said about you? Have you ever um, been falsely accused, horribly treated, had to deal with loss, the pain of losing a friend, grieving the death of someone you love? Hear me. Scripture is clear that Jesus did too. That Jesus did too. The pain, struggle, joy, excitement, laughter, friendship, compassion, empathy, um, sickness, sadness, anger, grief, sorrow. All of it. All of it. 
We know that Jesus, the Son of God, when he stepped into human history, when, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we know that this means Jesus, the Son of God, entered into the human experience. If you have your Bibles, grab them, open with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, when you're finding your place there, um, last week, just to catch us up, we looked at the book of Hebrews, actually just the first couple verses of Hebrews, and, and we talked about the fact that Jesus is our better prophet, better priest, and better king. And um, so Jesus is the word of God to us, the final and better word of God to us, the better prophet. That Jesus is the one who intercedes for us and sacrificed himself for us, our one and final sacrifice, the better priest. And, and that Jesus is the one who rules and reigns and his kingdom knows no end, our better king. So this is Jesus. Last week we looked at this. And a part of looking at this, we also stumbled into a beautiful text, um, this powerful verse in Hebrews 4. And in this verse it says, Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And it says in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we're going to receive grace and find mercy to help in our time of need. It's a beautiful and amazing uh, scripture. And this morning, what I want us to do is to zoom in on this and to, to see Jesus as our sympathetic great high priest. And, and we're going to do that by looking at Isaiah 53. And so what I'll do is, is let me read it for us, and then we're going to walk through it little by little. Um, I'm actually, we're only going to look at three short verses here. Um, Isaiah 53, we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. So let me, let me read them to us. It says this, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We are healed. All right, I want to walk through this together, line by line. Um, and I want to start with a bit of a clarification, just right off the bat as we get to Isaiah 53. Um, this text was written hundreds of years before Jesus, in his birth, and his life, and his death, and resurrection. Hundreds of years. Um, about 600 years. A lot of time. A lot of time. And, and I want to be clear. This text does not say, hey, people, this is about Jesus. This text does not say that. In fact, um, for those who reject Jesus as being the long-awaited Messiah, you might even read this text and say, nah, this isn't about Jesus at all. I get that. Actually, no, I don't get that. Um, <laughs> But I, I understand, like, for example, um, in Judaism, I understand that, that this, how contested this is, and in many cases ignored, this text, this passage is. So right off the bat, I just want to call this out. 
And, um, and we see in, in chapter 52, just a little bit before, in verse 13, that Isaiah identifies this as being about God's servant. God's servant. The one who is wise, we read. The one who is lifted up, we read that. Um, the one whose appearance is going to be marred. We read it's the one, he's the one who grew up ordinary, nothing like what we expected, no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Kind of like an ordinary carpenter from a small town of Nazareth. Isaiah says, this servant, God's servant, would be rejected, bear our guilt and shame, our grief and sorrow. He would be crushed. He would be pierced. He would take on the full weight of sin and shame. He would be oppressed and afflicted, and yet he would not open his mouth. We even see references here to his borrowed tomb. And that there is no violence from his hands and no deceit from his lips. Yet he was the one who was crushed as the offering for our sin. Uh, the one in verse 11 says, The servant will, will make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Look, God's servant here in Isaiah, I'm just going to say this right off the bat here. This is Jesus. This is a prophetic word pointing us forward to Jesus, foretelling his work, pointing the Old Testament saints ahead to the Messiah that's coming and pointing all of us to Jesus, the Messiah, who is the fulfillment of all prophecies. This is Jesus. This is why the New Testament saints quote this and look back to this. This is why the early church and throughout all the ages has quoted this text, stood on this text. This is Jesus. And so the reason I say this is because this prophecy was 600 years before Jesus was born, before his work, and yet Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of this prophecy. And as we go through this text, what we're going to read, and I say it, this is Jesus. This is about Jesus. And so having said that in verse 3, we see the pronoun he, that's Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men. We're going to walk through this a little bit, and then we're going to camp. Um, despised and rejected. So despised is a, is a word meaning that we viewed kind of as being despicable with contempt. If I were to sum up this word, um, I could do it with a sound. You ready? Ugh. Okay. I just define the word with a grunt. Ugh. That's what this is. Despised and then also rejected. This is a deliberate refusing, a deliberate abandonment. And so this means that when men saw him, there was a, and a turning away. Despised and rejected. And for a moment, just try to take that statement in. Because it says he was despised and rejected by men, his very own creation, the one he came to save. This is the king creator stepping into creation only to have creation go ugh and reject. Thinking that we know better. And so, honestly, for the first line of, of, of verse 3, I don't think it's something we can fully grasp this morning. How crazy this is. That, that, that that it should have been the other way around. 
Jesus should have looked at men and said, ugh, and turned away. It should have been turned around and, and to leave us, reject us, turn and leave us in our sin, leave us in our wickedness. That would make sense. That would be easy. This doesn't make sense that he was despised and rejected by men. And listen, it continues, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This hit me really hard this week, and you're going to probably tell. Jesus didn't just take my sin on the cross. He didn't just conquer sin and death on the cross through his resurrection, but he entered into the messiness of life. This text tells me he knows sadness. And he knows grief. And I don't want you to hear me wrong. He doesn't know about sadness. He doesn't know about grief. He knows them. He lived them. Like Hebrews 4 says, we have a sympathetic great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He is able to enter in and to comfort us in our pain, mourning with us because he has entered in. There's this uh, quote by Henry Nguyen um, that I think is, is just brilliant. It says, the great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. We are reminded time and time again in Scripture, Jesus enters in. He has entered in. He is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. In other words, he can lead us out of the desert as one who has been there. I, had the, I have had the great privilege of being in pastoral ministry now for a little over 16 years. And um, I have had the opportunity to talk with and walk with people who, are, who have come from all different backgrounds and are going through all different kinds of things. And, and just to sit in front of them, from loss to sickness to sin, insecurity, addiction, stress, anxiety, all of these things. And in all of these, in all of these things, I'm able to relate on some level, um, on some level. I'm able to sympathize on some level, but there are some more than others. I was thinking about this week that there are many uh, situations where... You know, I don't have personal experience with what the person sitting in front of me is going through. Um, last weekend was actually a great example of this. Uh, last weekend, Candace and I were uh, at a funeral, and we were mourning with a friend who had unexpectedly lost her dad. So this was a situation where Candace and I mourned with her, and yet Candace and I have not walked through that pain. We've never had to mourn the loss of one of our parents. In situations like this and, and many others like this, uh, when I don't have the experience in what they're facing, what do we do? Well, it's, we seek the word of God. We mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. We pray together and ask that God would minister. We pray that God would show up and comfort and be present. It's the only thing we can do. That's what we're called to do in situations like that. But there are other situations 
and this has happened many times, when the person sitting across from me, what they're going through, I am able to look them in the eyes and understand on a deep level what they are going through because I've been there to some level. I, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I do the same thing in both situations. You seek the word of God. You mourn with those who mourn. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You pray that God would comfort and minister. You pray he would be present. The, you do the same thing. You do the exact same thing. But in those moments along with that, um, there is also a deeper level of sympathy there's a relatability. There's this level of comfort that comes from sitting across the table from someone and saying, I know. I know what that's like. And here's the thing. When I read this text and I read that he is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, it hit me this week that in my sadness, in my grief, in my pain, my struggle, that Jesus looks me in the eye and says, I know. I, I, I know what that is like. That he's not just my great high priest, but he is my sympathetic great high priest. That he's not just the one that makes purifications for my sins, but the one who can look my humanity in the eyes and say, I know. We're going to come back to this, continue in this. Uh, but I, I think there is something here that's important that just Jesus is our better high priest, the one who purifies us. There's no sin too great. No, there is forgiveness in him. But in that church, we, we also remember that he is our great and sympathetic high priest. And, and, and as we face life in this broken world, Jesus is present with us, sympath sympathetically saying, I know. And in that, we continue reading. He says, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And what else can we say about this? The long-awaited Messiah, the one prophesied about, he came and we make that sound. Ugh. Turn our face. Um, the net translation of the Bible, actually, I think captures this so beautifully, says that he was despised, and listen to this, we considered him insignificant. I have to point out, that is exactly what we do today. We're still doing this. Ugh, turning away and, and considering him insignificant, unimportant, not making any bearing on my life whatsoever. Maybe you're here and you've done that. Maybe you're here and, and this has been your outlook, this, ugh, okay, I get it all, but what difference does it make? Insignificant at best. Why does Jesus matter? And yet in that, Jesus took all of that, all of our uggs, took it all, and he says in verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, meaning he took it all, entered in, stepped in, word put on flesh. Jesus steps into human history, and he steps into the, the human experience, if you will. And yet, 
What does our text say? We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, in this text, we are going to continue to see this great exchange taking place. We're going to see, line by line, that Jesus gets blank and because of our blank. Like, we give Jesus this, and Jesus gives us that. We're going to see this great exchange happening here. We see it in verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. And we're going to talk about this specifically uh, next week. But he was pierced, stabbed, nails driven in. He was executed. And here's the crazy thing. Most criminals are, are tried, convicted, and sentenced because of crimes that they have committed. Most criminals are given the punishment for their own crimes, their own transgressions. Yet, we just, we've already read this, we've already sang this, we've already said this. He was without sin. He had done nothing. He was without sin. And so I want to say this on two levels, okay? Follow with me, two levels. On one level, I am talking about the human level. And what I mean by this is that under Pontius Pilate, he had done nothing to warrant crucifixion. Nothing other than make religious leaders really mad. He was whipped, beaten, mocked, accused, nailed to a cross, hung in pain to suffocate and die. And yet the punishment did not fit the crime because there was no crime. So that's one level. I think we get that one. But there's a deeper level to this. And that is on the holiness and righteousness of God level. Jesus was perfect and sinless, and, and hear me, he was unworthy of death itself. And what I mean by this, remember, the wages of sin is death. Jesus had no sin. Death had no claim on him. None. And yet, he was whipped, beaten, mocked, arrested, nailed to a cross, and hung in pain, left to suffocate and die. In this moment, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for your sin, your transgressions, so that through Christ and Christ alone, you can be forgiven. That Jesus is the just justifier. This is that great exchange that he, uh, Jesus says, I will take your sin on my shoulders and I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to take your death and I'm going to give you life. I, I'm going to take your condemnation, and I am going to give you forgiveness and acceptance. We, we sing often here, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, one of my favorite songs, but there's this line in that song that says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. This is the work of Jesus on the cross, and this is what Isaiah means. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Chastisement, our peace. It's this great exchange through Jesus, our great high priest. But I want to zoom in and slow down now on the final line. The final line of this text, take this in, and with his wounds we are healed, or by his wounds we are healed. 
And I think more than anything else this week, something really has just hit me and stopped me, and I don't think I fully sat with this and realized this like I should have before. And that is that Jesus is not only my healer, but the fact is, is that he is the wounded healer. That Jesus is our wounded healer. And there are some significant implications to that. Um, first, think about this. We often pray for healing. We should. That God would take away our pain, would take away our suffering, and we are grateful and we know that he can. He is our healer. We thank God for that. We know this to be true on a physical level uh, with our pain and sickness. But we know this to be true on an emotional level with our struggles, our anxiety, our fear, our pain. And we know this to be true on a spiritual level. That, that, that our brokenness and separation from God, our God heals. Praise God for that. He offers us life and restoration. Now, will he always heal you the way you, you ask him to? Will he always cooperate with your proposed timelines? And, and will he do things in the way that we see best? No, no. There will be many times where you will not know why. You just won't. You won't know why. You will not even understand. We will try to understand, but we won't understand what we're going through or the pain that we're facing that just won't leave. There will be times when you share in common Paul's thorn in the flesh that you pray over and over and over and over, and it just doesn't go away, and there's no answers given there will be many times when our requests will be made known and he will not answer them the way we prayed for him to answer. I know many of us have been there. Now, don't hear me wrong. In those moments, Jesus is still healer. He is still, still our healer. And ultimately, through Christ, we will be healed. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote from uh, a woman named Nita Prose, just from a fictional book. Don't need to worry about it. But she makes this quote that I was like, oh, that's good. She says, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. <laughs> I love that quote. I love that quote because in Christ we can say, yeah. That is, Christians know that in and through Christ everything will be made right in the we, we see the truth of this crazy little quote, right? But there will be moments when we sit in waiting and we experience all of the crazy effects of living in a fallen, broken world. When we suffer sickness and pain, when, um, when we face broken relationships and strife, when a friend is a bonehead and betrays our trust, to the deepest level of our being. When, when someone takes advantage of us, hurts us, and when we face a thorn in the flesh, and it's in these moments that it is so important for us to know that Jesus is not just our healer, he is the wounded healer. What I mean is that he's not just this cosmic genie in a bottle, we rub the lamp, fix that, fix that. If you've seen Fix It, Felix from Wreck-It Ralph, like just thing, fix, thing. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Jesus is not like that. He's not sitting on his throne going, boom, healed, boom, healed. Like he's not, he's not fix it, Felix. But as the wounded healer, 
I have better news than that. We read he is the one who enters in and says, I see you, I'm here with you, and I know. When we get this wrong, we think that God's greatest desire for us is to give us all the things we want, make us happy, healthy, wealthy, and to heal us from all that we face. But God's desire for you is so much more than that. So much better than that. To know Christ and to understand the sufficiency of Jesus in and through all things. All things. In fact, um, I brought up Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians. And um, he, he has this thorn. He calls it a messenger of Satan. I love that. Um, how relatable is that? To keep me from being conceited. So he's like, this keeps me humble. That's what, he, what he's saying. Uh, but then listen, listen to this. Um, he says, you know, three times I have pleaded with the Lord about this. Like three times that it would leave. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I'm going to boast all the more so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, take this in. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, I am strong. Church, how can Paul say this? Better question, how can you get to the place where you can say that? How is that possible? I propose to you this. Um, It is in these times, uh, times of our own weakness, times of our own limitations, that we will experience and feel the presence of Christ in our lives more than any other. And why is that? Look at what Paul says. I, I highlighted him. Um, we have, he's, con- he's content in weakness, and we see insults, we see hardships, persecutions, calamities. Church, does that list sound at all familiar to you? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, afflicted, pierced, chastised. It hit me this week that Paul says, I can be content in these things because Jesus himself took on these things. And not just that, but that Jesus himself is ministering to me in these things. And he's ministering to me in these things as one who has gone through these things as a wounded healer. For Paul, Jesus was his wounded healer. Um, The one who entered in, who said, who said, Paul, I know you. And and I think it's an important time to ask this question. Um, Just a heart level question of, would you rather have all of your thorns taken away? Or experience the presence of Jesus in and through it all? It's a hard question. And if you're churchy, you're going to say, obviously, the second. But I want you to really level in on what you are saying in this moment. Would you rather have Jesus 
just remove your thorns, or would you rather experience the real presence of Jesus in and through it all? Paul is here saying loudly and clearly, Jesus is better, and the presence of Jesus is better. In my thorn, he is here. In my thorn, I'm reminded of his thorns. He is ministering to me because he looks me in the eye and says, I know. Church, in your thorns, he is better. In your thorns, you can remember. You know that Jesus is ministering to you because he knows you and loves you. He knows you and he knows what it is like to suffer. He is not just our healer, but our compassionate, wounded healer. And I want to take it one step further. Um, Jesus is our wounded healer. And he ministers to us in our wounds. But here's the reality. He now gives us the ability to be ministers to the wounds of others. The wounded healer Jesus now gives us the ministry to be wounded healers. The wounded ones now get to minister to the wounded ones in our lives. That now we are the wounded healer. And this really matters, church. This really makes a difference that we grasp this as the church because God plans to use you. He plans to use you. And here's the crazy thing. He plans to use your scars and your wounds often more than he does your your stars and successes. To minister from a place of authentic and hurt and to minister to the hurts and scars of others. He uses wounded healers. Our call as the church is not to present ourselves as the ones who are awesome and perfect and have it all figured out. Have it all together. Smiles, sunshine, lollipops. Not only is that dishonest and and, uh, unhealthy and unrealistic, but it is also ignoring the ministry that God has placed in your life. You have gone through what you have gone through for a purpose. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Um, Candace and I, uh, again, we have some friends, different friends, who are such a beautiful example of this. And um, several, several years ago now, our friends went through something that was horrific and heartbreaking. They lost... Um, very unexpectedly and in a horrible tragedy, they lost their young son. It was just the worst example of a fallen world. Absolutely terrible. If you've gone through this, you know. You, uh, You know about the grief that is deep and lasting. It's a pain that few have experienced and few can truly relate to that. Um... But each year, our friends have a retreat, and it's a really special uh, retreat. You see, uniquely special time when all over the nation, all over the nation, um, each of whom have lost a child, and they come together at this retreat so that they're able to minister to each other and to grieve with each other. And share in grief together. And um, I've seen them post about these events uh, through the years. And um, 
I see these pictures of people coming together, and it made me think this week of how beautiful of an example that is for all of us. And as I was spending time in this text this week and thinking about Jesus as our wounded healer, and I was thinking about how important retreats like those are and uh, what they signify to us. And because at the core, it's God ministering to us in our pain um, through our brothers and sisters, using wounded healers in our own lives. And so when I was thinking about this, I decided, you know what? I need to reach out to him and just hear from him. And I asked him specifically a question. I asked him uh, what those retreats mean for him and, and what, why they are so important for them. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I have to. <laughs> um, here is, uh, I want to read what he says. He says, there is... Um, there is something uniquely powerful, even supernatural, about being with someone who has endured familiar suffering. If they are still walking with God in the midst of this broken world, they are a picture of hope. I find myself wanting to walk with them like wounded brothers and sisters leaning on each other on a battlefield. He says this, the pain is not gone but you can help one another walk. You can help one another walk. And there is something uniquely powerful, supernatural about being with someone who has endured familiar suffering. First and foremost, church, that's Jesus. That he endured, he's sympathetic with us and our weaknesses, our frail humanity. But secondly, that's your call. That is your call to walk with others in your life to share your life with them, and to help one another walk. Jesus is our wounded healer, and he has called us now to be wounded healers, as countercultural as that may feel in the church. This is your call. Being a picture of hope, he says, walking together as wounded brothers and sisters, leaning on each other on a battlefield. Knowing, uh, uh, knowing that the pain is not gone, yet... We know it. one day it will be. Got to add that. One day it will be. One day the pain will be no more. One day there will be no more wounds. But we are alongside of each other today, through this fallen world, helping one another walk. I have to say, Jesus is our wounded healer. And now by the grace of God, we are now made to be his ambassadors and wounded healers. That we may point people to love and grace of Jesus through all of the ups and downs of life. This is our call. 